Greetings, detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company and our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in one, two, three. Now out one, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. As they ran, there came again that awful cry. It died away in a sort of wail. The white faces of prisoners appeared at cell doors, upstairs and down, staring out wonderingly, frightened. It's that fool in cell 13, grumbled the warden. He stopped and stared in as one of the jailers flashed a lantern. That fool in cell 13 lay comfortably on his cot, flat on his back, with his mouth open, snoring. Even as they looked, there came again the piercing cry from somewhere above. The warden's face blanched a little as he started up the stairs. There on the top floor he found a man in cell 43, directly above cell 13, but two floors higher, cowering in a corner of his cell. "'What's the matter?' demanded the warden. 
Thank God you've come, exclaimed the prisoner, and he cast himself against the bars of his cell. What is it? demanded the warden again. He threw open the door and went in. The prisoner dropped on his knees and clasped the warden about the body. His face was white with terror. His eyes were widely distended, and he was shuddering. His hands, icy cold, clutched at the warden's. "'Take me out of this cell! Please, take me out!' he pleaded. "'What's the matter with you, anyhow?' insisted the warden, impatiently. "'I heard something.' "'Something,' said the prisoner, and his eyes roved nervously around the cell. "'What did you hear?' "'I... I can't tell you,' stammered the prisoner. Then, in a sudden burst of terror, "'Take me out of this cell! Put me anywhere! But take me out of here!' The warden and the three jailers exchanged glances. "'Who is this fellow? What's he accused of?' asked the warden. "'Joseph Ballard,' said one of the jailers. "'He's accused of throwing acid in a woman's face. She died from it.' "'But they can't prove it,' gasped the prisoner. "'They can't prove it. Please put me in some other cell.' He was still clinging to the warden, and that official threw his arms off roughly. Then for a time he stood looking at the cowering wretch, who seemed possessed of all the wild, unreasoning terror of a child. "'Look here, Ballard,' said the warden finally. "'If you heard anything, I want to know what it was. Now tell me.' "'I can't. I can't,' was the reply. He was sobbing. "'Where did it come from?' "'I don't know. Everywhere.' Nowhere. I just heard it. What was it? A voice? Please don't make me answer, pleaded the prisoner. You must answer, said the warden sharply. It was a voice, but but it wasn't human, was the sobbing reply. Voice, but not human, repeated the warden, puzzled. It sounded muffled and, and far away and ghostly explained the man. Did it come from inside or outside the prison? It didn't seem to come from anywhere. It was just here, here, everywhere. I heard it. I heard it. For an hour, the warden tried to get the story, but Ballard had become suddenly obstinate and would say nothing, only pleaded to be placed in another cell or to have one of the jailers remain near him until daylight. These requests were gruffly refused. "'And see here,' said the warden, in conclusion. "'If there's any more of this screaming, I'll put you in the padded cell.' Then the warden went his way, a sadly puzzled man. Ballard sat at his cell door until daylight. His face drawn and white with terror, pressed against the bars, and looked out into the prison with wide, staring eyes. That day, the fourth since the incarceration of the thinking machine, was enlivened considerably by the volunteer prisoner, who spent most of his time at the little window of his cell, 
he began proceedings by throwing another piece of linen down to the guard, who picked it up dutifully and took it to the warden. On it was written, Only three days more! The warden was in no way surprised at what he read. He understood that the thinking machine meant only three days more of his imprisonment, and he regarded the note as a boast. But how was the thing written? Where had the thinking machine found this new piece of linen? Where? How? He carefully examined the linen. It was white, of fine texture, shirting material. He took the shirt which he had taken and carefully fitted the two original pieces of the linen to the torn places. This third piece was entirely superfluous. It didn't fit anywhere, and yet it was unmistakably the same goods. And where, where does he get anything to write with? demanded the warden of the world at large. Still later on the fourth day, the thinking machine, through the window of his cell, spoke to the armed guard outside. "'What day of the month is it?' he asked. "'The fifteenth, was the answer. The thinking machine made a mental astronomical calculation and satisfied himself that the moon would not rise until after nine o'clock that night. Then he asked another question. "'Who attends to those arc-lights?' "'Man from the company?' You have no electricians in the building? I should think you could save money if you had your own man. None of my business, replied the guard. The guard noticed the thinking machine at the cell window frequently during that day. But always the face seemed listless, and there was a certain wistfulness in the squint eyes behind the glasses. After a while, he accepted the presence of the leonine head as a matter of course. He had seen other prisoners do the same thing. It was the longing for the outside world. That afternoon, just before the day guard was relieved, the head appeared at the window again, and the thinking machine's hand held something out between the bars. It fluttered to the ground and the guard picked it up. It was a five-dollar bill. "'That's for you,' called the prisoner. As usual, the guard took it to the warden. That gentleman looked at it suspiciously. He looked at everything that came from cell 13 with suspicion. "'He said it was for me,' explained the guard. "'It's sort of a tip, I suppose,' said the warden. I see no particular reason why you shouldn't accept. Suddenly he stopped. He had remembered that the thinking machine had gone into cell 13 with one $5 bill and two $10 bills, $25 in all. Now a $5 bill had been tied around the first pieces of linen that came from the cell. The warden still had it and to convince himself he took it out and looked at it. It was five dollars. Yet here was another five dollars, and the thinking machine had only had ten-dollar bills. Perhaps somebody changed one of the bills for him, he thought at last, with a sigh of relief. 
But then and there he made up his mind. He would search cell 13 as a cell was never before searched in this world. When a man could write at will and change money and do other wholly inexplicable things, there was something radically wrong with his prison. He planned to enter the cell at night. Three o'clock would be an excellent time. The thinking machine must do all the weird things he did sometime. Night seemed the most reasonable. Thus it happened that the warden stealthily descended upon cell 13 that night at three o'clock. He paused at the door and listened. There was no sound save the steady, regular breathing of the prisoner. The keys unfastened the double locks with scarcely a clank, and the warden entered, locking the door behind him. Suddenly he flashed his dark lantern in the face of the recumbent figure. If the warden had planned to startle the thinking machine, he was mistaken, for that individual merely opened his eyes quietly, reached for his glasses, and inquired in a most matter-of-fact tone, who is it? It would be useless to describe the search that the warden made. It was minute. Not one inch of the cell or the bed was overlooked. He found the round hole in the floor, and with a flash of inspiration, thrust his thick fingers into it. After a moment of fumbling there, he drew up something and looked at it in the light of his lantern. Ah! Oh, he exclaimed. The thing he had taken out was a rat. A dead rat. His inspiration fled as a mist before the sun. But he continued the search. The thinking machine, without a word, arose and kicked the rat out of the cell into the corridor. The warden climbed on the bed and tried the steel bars in the tiny window. They were perfectly rigid. Every bar of the door was the same. Then the warden searched the prisoner's clothing, beginning at the shoes. Nothing hidden in them. Then the trousers' waistband. Still nothing. Then the pockets of the trousers. From one side he drew out some paper money and examined it. Five one-dollar bills, he gasped. That's right, said the prisoner. But the... You had two tens and a five. What the... How do you do it? That's my business, said the thinking machine. Did any of my men change this money for you? On your word of honor. The thinking machine paused just a fraction of a second. No, he said. Well, do you make it? asked the warden. He was prepared to believe anything. That's my business, again said the prisoner. The warden glared at the eminent scientist fiercely. He felt, he knew, that this man was making a fool of him. Yet he didn't know how. If he were a real prisoner, he would get the truth. But then, perhaps those inexplicable things which had happened would not have been brought before him so sharply. 
Neither of the men spoke for a long time. Then suddenly the warden turned fiercely and left the cell, slamming the door behind him. He didn't dare to speak then. He glanced at the clock. It was ten minutes to four. He had hardly settled himself in bed when again came that heart-breaking shriek through the prison. With a few muttered words which, while not elegant, were highly expressive, he relighted his lantern and rushed through the prison again to the cell on the upper floor. Again Ballard was crushing himself against the steel door, shrieking, shrieking at the top of his voice. He stopped only when the warden flashed his lamp in the cell. "'Take me out! Take me out!' he screamed. "'I did it! I did it! I killed her! Take it away!' "'Take what away?' asked the warden. "'I threw the acid in her face. I did it! I confess! Take me out of here!' Ballard's condition was pitiable. It was only an act of mercy to let him out into the corridor. There he crouched in a corner, like an animal at bay, and clasped his hands to his ears. It took half an hour to calm him sufficiently for him to speak. Then he told incoherently what had happened. On the night before, at four o'clock, he had heard a voice, a sepulchral voice, muffled and wailing in tone. "'What did it say?' asked the warden, curiously. "'Acid! Acid! Acid!' gasped the prisoner. "'It accused me. Acid! I threw the acid, and the woman died! Ah!' It was a long, shuddering wail of terror. "'Acid?' echoed the warden, puzzled. The case was beyond him. Acid! That's all I heard. That one word, repeated several times. There were other things, too, but I didn't hear them. That was last night, eh? asked the warden. What happened tonight? What frightened you just now? It was the same thing, gasped the prisoner. Acid! 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 He covered his face with his hands and sat shivering. It was acid I used on her, but I didn't mean to kill her. I just heard the words. It was something accusing me, accusing me. He mumbled and was silent. Did you hear anything else? Yes, but I couldn't understand. Only a little bit. Just a word or two. Well, what was it? I heard acid. Three times, and I heard a long, moaning sound. Then, then, I heard number eight hat. I heard that twice. Number eight hat, repeated the warden. What the devil? Number eight hat. Accusing voices of conscience have never talked about number eight hats, so far as I ever heard. He's insane said one of the jailers with an air of finality. I believe you, said the warden. He must be. He probably heard something and got frightened. He's trembling now, number eight hat. What the? 
That's the end of Chapter 4 of The Problem of Cell 13 by Jacques Futrell. While this is a longer story than our usual fare, we believe Futrell displays a particular vision for striking characters in tense situations, so we hope you'll stay with us all the way to the end of this classic escape story. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.